right. Hey, everyone. I am Bradley Schneller with Rue Fitness. This hey, everybody. I'm Ryan Thibodeau. Nice. This is, with that being said, a Rue Fitness podcast. Uh, our podcast with Ryan was such a hit the first time, we decided to have him back again. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> awesome. So, Ryan, how has quarantine life been going for you? I think it's been good. It's been like everyone else, some ups and downs and highs and lows and figuring things out. Um, you know, you said something uh, just a minute ago as we were kind of setting up. You said a lot of people are feeling depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that, I have a, a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, being someone who's dealt with some depressive moments is that a, a, a while back I was coached up to not title those moments. So I think it's okay to say I'm, I'm, I'm feeling low. I'm okay. feeling a little down. I think if you say I'm depressed, uh, it's a title and, and it's something you wear. Whereas a feeling is something that passes, a feeling of happiness, a feeling of hunger, a feeling of thirst passes. So I think it's, a, it's okay to say I'm feeling a little low to today. I'm feeling a little depressed, but uh, not to say I am depressed or I'm a depressed person. Right. Because that is a tag that is harder to rid yourself of mentally. So. Yeah. I, and I guess that all depends on the person. You know, like yeah. I had I had some days here where um, Emily was having a harder time dealing with it than me. Um, and every now and then I'd be like, look, I'm having a bad day today. I mm-hmm. just you got to let me have this one. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, yeah. I'm normally not that type of person or maybe I try to fight it more or, or hide it or, or maybe I just lack the emotion yeah. emotional ability to maybe allow myself to get depressed does that make sense sure. yeah or express it or yeah express yeah. it yeah so it, it just kind of it has to be really bad for me to like mm. get down and then it's not like i just shut down i just become highly irritable mm. interesting interesting yeah and the, uh certain uh physicians will say um that agitation is the first step of fatigue so before you become sick you become fatigued. Before you become fatigued, you become irritable or agitated. You use that word. So oftentimes when you're feeling that way, um, it's good to maybe take a little break, take a little nap, take a moment, have some healthy something to eat um, to work your way through that agitation. For me, another thing that helps is just movement and exercise. Even if I just go on a short run, yeah. if I, I've seen you just stop what you're doing and do kettlebell swings right? Um, because it elevates your energy level. And, and I think that's, that movement is such a key. To, uh, to moving through those low states. I mean, exercise definitely helps me. Um, you know, it raises my endorphin levels. Uh, it just makes me feel better. Like when I'm feeling bad about myself, normally like getting my heart rate up and moving, whether that's just running, lifting some weights, uh, going for a walk, getting on a bike or a rower. Like I did 12 minutes on the rower yesterday afternoon and I just felt better about myself. Yeah. It was only 12 minutes. Absolutely. I mean, I had worked out earlier in the day. Right. <laughs> right. But the 12 minutes in the afternoon made myself just feel better. So Yeah, and I think people need to know, because you and I are both seen as uh, fitness guys, mm-hmm. active guys. We've uh, worked to develop an image of ourselves. We still have, and I know when I'm lacing my running shoes in the morning, a lot of times I don't want to go on a run. Like, I'm not looking forward to the act of running but I am looking forward to the feeling after my run or even during my run, it'll hit me. Or like, so in that 12 minute row, I bet when you first strapped in and first start pulling, you're like, 
I don't really want to be doing this. No. And then something, there's a shift that occurs. So we're like everybody else, you know, we yeah. don't wake up and just take off out the door and uh, smiling, you know, that's something that we put the work in. For. Right. And I mean, I've been doing this type of exercise or the functional fitness, high intensity training for about a decade now. And, um, there becomes a point where it gets old, mm -hmm. you know, uh, everything gets old, especially like with my personality, like I always need change. Um, and there are days that I do not want to work out, but like you said, like I just, I make myself start, you know, yes. I've talked a lot about that in um, other podcasts where like just starting or putting your shoes on or walking out the door um, is the hardest part. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we talk about like our, we have a 5:30 AM class. Those, people that go to 5.30 a.m. class, they tend to be the most consistent people in the gym. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why is nothing can derail their workout, Yeah. right? Because you just get up and you go, where if you're an afternoon guy or a person, um, you can have a happy hour, mm -hmm. something with the kids pops up, right. work gets extended, and you end up having to miss your workout. Nothing's derailing it at 5.30 a.m. Yeah. So people are like, well, how do you work out at 5.30 a.m.? It's hard as shit. It's hard. Okay? It's um, hard. But... The hardest part is getting to the gym. Once you're here, yeah. you're here. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then you develop that habit and you start to look forward to it. Um, and even when, you know, you don't have to be up, you're doing it. Um, so a lot of times just starting, like you said, is a big uh, way to combat that. But you're here to talk about um, some other stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So let's talk about how you wanted to say, like, putting something on the calendar or having something to look forward to is a way to combat that. Absolutely. So I, I did a little uh, online course. I know a lot of people taking online courses right now. They're either learning second languages, they're going back and doing online MBA, their kids are doing remote learning, so they're signing up for cooking classes and things that interest them. And I think it's awesome. Um, when I was at one of those lower points, um, having some depressive thoughts a couple of years ago, uh, I signed up for a course, uh, an online course. It was a six-week course. Uh, called Build Your Life Resume with Jesse Itzer. And you should definitely look up Jesse Itzer and his own uh, uh, business resume uh, on the web. He's done some really impressive things and he's partnered a lot of energies and he's known as this creator of energy. He just builds right. people up and does some amazing things. And I won't go into all the details of the course, but there was basically a weekly lesson. He would give, um, you know, a weekly pep talk. He would tell some stories. He would encourage us to dig deep in our own lives and find moments where that was relative to what he was saying. But essentially what he was saying is that if you want a life of high energy, then it's your job to plan uh, almost religiously and put those events on your calendar. Um, because his estimation, and I've done this now for two years and it's so true, is that it takes about eight weeks for the buzz of something significant in your life to wear off. So if you know that in an eight week window, your energy level, your enthusiasm, um, your excitement for the day is gonna fade, then why not put something every eight weeks that really yeah, gets that you charged sense. and excited? Right. Um, and I started doing that. And sometimes the eight-week ad adventure is uh, connecting with an old friend I haven't seen in a while, going on a short trip, a bike ride, 
Um, sometimes it's planning a vacation with my family. Yeah. Um, sometimes I love to ski. It's looking at that ski trip and knowing that it's coming because of the weeks leading up to it. You're getting excited. You're looking at photos. You're making reservations. You're um, making sure you have all your gear. And then you have the buzz of the event. And then afterwards, you're sharing photos. You're telling stories. And your energy level is, is sustained for a while. I, I always find um, that when I go on a trip, whether it's just a vacation, just Emily and I, or, or us with the kids, or, or we just leave what we normally do, like our normal environment, and get out of our normal environment and do something different. Um, leading up to that point, like you talked about, not only is there an energy, but I work harder. Mm, yes. You know, because focus. Yeah, I, I have in like. Work. Yeah, because I know I have to take care of a lot of things before I leave, yeah. and then when I come back. I'm energized because I haven't, you know, I took a little yes. break. I went and did something that I don't normally do. And that energy translates into my work. Yes. So um, it becomes more purposeful. Right. Like yeah. What so what you're doing is more purposeful. I definitely yeah. think like people who don't take a break and plan something or go do something, um, you burnt out pretty quickly. Yes which then can yes. lead to depression. Right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So uh, when I finished uh, college at LSU back in 96. Uh, I go was Tigers. In, yeah, go Tigers is right. Um, you were a baby in 96. 96, I was in seventh grade. Yeah, a baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I finished up. Uh, I was already accepted into dental school my senior year. Uh, it was a fun year at LSU. And I was in a social fraternity, and this social fraternity was very unusual and Where is the social fraternity? Uh, it's called Pi Kappa Phi. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And a national fraternity, a big group. But we, we're uh, unique in that um, we have a service arm, um, which at the time was, um, which now is called the Ability Experience. Okay. So in the early 90s, the Americans with Disabilities Act was coming around. And there wasn't a lot of understanding of what it would be like to function on a daily basis with someone who uh, had a, 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 a disability, couldn't see. Uh, wheelchair ramps were not commonplace. Uh, certainly playgrounds with wheelchair accessibility were not commonplace. So the point of this organization was to bring college kids together and we would um, engage in that community. We would build wheelchair accessible playgrounds, uh, wheelchair ramps. Uh, we would interact with people with disabilities, both mental and physical. Um, and the big event for this is that every summer we take a group of guys and we put them on bicycles, uh, sponsored by Saturn at the time, and we would ride our bikes across the country. That's cool. Like yeah. East Coast to West Coast. Uh, West Coast to East, San Francisco to DC. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. How long did it take? Uh, two months. Every day we would get up and we put on our jerseys and uh, we would get on a bike and we'd ride on average 75 miles a day, but there were 125 mile days. There were a couple of rest days in there. And typically a day would be made up of a lot of riding, uh, 15 to 20 guys on the road and then a five guy support crew. And then we would arrive in a town. Uh, we rode through the central um, you know, United States, through, across the Rockies, uh, through the Midwest. And we would arrive in a town and we would typically have a local media uh, would meet us uh, for a little bit of an interview. Uh, who are you meeting with today? Where are you going? And then we would do these friendship visits and the friendship visit would put us uh, interacting with the disabled community um, there. Uh, we would have picnic lunches, we would play, we would uh, sometimes do some work projects while we were there. How, uh, how long does 75 to 100 miles take on a bike? 
for y'all? This was not a race. So we were riding probably 15, 16 miles an hour. So it would take, we would get up every day really early. Five or six hours, yeah, roughly. Yeah, five or six hours. We'd get in, uh, we'd clean up a little bit, do our media time, do a friendship visit, have a lunch or a dinner uh, with some locals, and then just recover. And do you have any idea, and I, I know this is off topic, but how many calories you were consuming a day when you were doing this? Uh, no clue, but lots. A lot, right? You could yeah, eat endlessly yeah. and still shed. Right. Just shedding weight. Yeah, right. I think about like all the, I was, it's totally off topic, but <laughs> I was really big into the Tour de France mm -hmm. my entire life. Uh, and I would get up. I was that guy who got up every morning at like 5 a.m. to put on the tour. Oh, yeah. And I would watch yeah. five hours of bike racing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I don't know, but Lance Armstrong did it, did it for me. Yeah. And so like even after Lance retired, um, I still watched. Yeah. You know, and hooked. yeah, I was still hooked. I've gotten a little bit disenchanted uh lately but I'm, I'm more of upset of how it's regulated now and, yes. and things they're saying and and america's kind of falling off tj van garter is the last yeah. hope um and he's kind of gotten hurt the last couple of rides yes so. uh yes. but anyway i was very into like how did they train what they ate things like that yeah. and it's insane it is insane i had the uh i was fortunate enough to attend the tour uh, back in 2005, pre-Katrina, we went out there. We knew it was Lance's last year uh, riding. He had officially retired, so we said, look, he's never going to ride again. Let's it was with Discovery, there. right? Uh, at the time, he was, ooh, was he with Discovery? Or was or it the one Postal? after Discovery? He might have. No, I think Postal. You're right. Postal he switched from Postal to Discovery. Discovery. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, we went out there, and we followed him through the Alps for eight days and saw That's what it awesome. took. Oh, it was unbelievable. The energy was unbelievable. At the time, it was a very Americanized event. I mean, it was a French event with Americans everywhere. Really? You know, everywhere. Flags everywhere and uh, Texas flags, U.S. flags. That's cool. I brought my trumpet out there. I was playing deep in the heart of Texas through the Alps. Ah. <laughs> I think it was the only trumpet in France that summer because everyone would just look at me like we were crazy uh, but it would by the by the fifth or sixth day as the as the peloton would ride through the guys would start to see in the ride would start to see me and they would all just laugh and like elbow each other and like there's the trumpet guy again playing along the route when so. y'all are on a flat stage how fast did they go by uh it was shocking how fast um, the fastest we caught them is that we were in a little town. I can't remember the name of the town, but there was sprint points in this town. Um, and when they came through, it was like um, 30 to 35 miles an hour. Um, they had closed the roads for two hours. The sprint stage or the sprint points were in this stage were awarded in the first like 20 to 25 miles. So there had been no gaps in right. the ride. So when they blew through there, the whole town <coughs> was shut down for several hours and it was like, shoot, they go through <coughs> and that was it. Right. And it was like, did we just stand here for two hours and we saw those guys for like seven seconds? That was it. I was wondering about that. Yeah. yeah. That's why I think I'd rather be like on a, on a slope. Yes. In the mountains because they're spread out. Spread they're going out. by slower. You probably see, you know, Lance for like, I don't know, 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So when I got back, this was the best analogy because so many of my friends didn't understand cycling. I said, um, at the time, um, the Cowboys were big. You right. know, I was trying to think of an analogy and I said, um, you know, you like football, right? And my friends, oh, yeah, yeah, I love football. I was like, uh, what if um, you went to a Cowboys game and when Troy Aikman took the snap and, and took three steps back and wanted to hand the ball off to Emmitt Smith, 
What if you were standing next to Troy Aikman and you could hear the ball hit him in the chest as he handed the ball yeah. off? That's how close you are to the cyclist at the tour. There's That's limited crazy. security. And so you say, are you close to Lance? Are you close to Lance? You could run next to Lance. Next to Lance, yeah. You could yeah. talk to Lance. Um, they, at certain points in the ride where guys are spent, they literally take co uh, colas from right. uh, you know kids on the side of the road just to get the extra sugar intake. And then they throw it down at your feet, uh, not to be rude, but just to get rid right. of it. And, and it was like, I can't believe how close we are to these guys. That's and crazy. Gasping, it was, but that was on a climb, on a, on a serious you, climb. When you were doing these charity bike rides, do you ever picture yourself like, I'm in this? Or <laughs> When I used to ride my bike, when yeah. I was a kid, I used to pretend to be Lance Armstrong and go to like as hard as I can on my yeah. bike. Uh-huh. It wasn't very good. <laughs> but <laughs> right. I don't know. I had those like mental pictures of yeah. putting myself in his shoes or, um, you know, something similar to that situation yeah. to try to help push me through that. I don't know if you ever thought about that while you were riding a bike. Yeah, I have. And I've, had, I've, I've been fortunate enough to ride with a couple of uh, really just great cyclists. Mm -hmm. One year when I was in great shape, I never forget. I went out. I think I was in uh, I was either in Seattle doing a charity ride. I might have been in Portland. No, I think it was Seattle. And Lance was riding that year in this ride. And I knew because of his obligations, he started after um, some of some, you know, the guys that were riding and I was riding well at the time. Right. And he blew by the group that I was riding with at a pace that it was almost shocking mm -hmm. when he passed us. And he was not going all out. It was like him just churning and we were churning and the, the difference in, in speed was mind blowing. Really? It was, it was mind blowing. It really was. Yeah. That's crazy. And then I told myself, I said, well, I'm never going to have this chance again. I'm going to catch up with him. So I all out red line. I was like, I'm going to catch him. Whatever. It's flat. I'm going to catch yeah. the guy, you know? And I think a couple of us all said, yeah, we'll catch it. Let's go. Let's go. You know? So we dialed in, got, you know, just dropped down in our hoods and just push and never got, never <laughs> got close. <laughs> never got close. So. That would be like me, like, in the very beginning, trying to keep up with the Kenyans in the Crescent City Classic, yes. which is impossible. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, they, they average like four minute miles, yes. right? Four, 420, something like that, yeah. which is yeah. insane. It, it, it's it's mind blowing. The, the gap between that level of rider and even the greatest of semi-pro riders is so far. And then it falls off to the competitive non-pros and then right. the recreational and all. And the gaps are just huge. It's just huge. Yeah. So you're in these charity rides um, before you started them. And so this is, is this like 97, 98 when you're doing first started these rides so I, I kept riding after I finished the cross-country ride um, I, an interesting point was that because of dental school I had to stop the cross-country trip a little early I missed some of the the last few the last two weeks so for the next few years I would go back and make up these rides it's not like me to not complete something right so a few of my friends would join me and we'd pick a weekend each summer we'd ride up to a town that I didn't ride and we'd ride three or four days and I think that really kept me in Engaged in the bicycle as a fitness lifestyle. Um, we were in in those cases. We weren't doing the friendship visits and such, but we were still involved with the organization. Um, and it was deeply meaningful for us to be on the road, to be with each other, um, to make up those miles, and then just to have the escape of being right. out there. And then I continued and transitioned from there to the uh, charity rides, like the one I mentioned uh, for Livestrong. Uh, of course, done the MS rides locally uh, multiple times. So, what is this charity ride you're going to do? 
tomorrow, right? Uh, yeah, head out to California. Yeah. So basically, with all the uh, technicalities and uh, shutdowns of this COVID thing that I'm calling the grand social experiment, um, the event was canceled. And it was oh, started shit. in 87, 88. Since then, there's been over 2,000 cyclists have made this annual trip, always college guys. And, uh, and when it got canceled, um, I understood right. because the logistics of crossing state lines, uh, visit, we would spend nights at churches, service organizations, high schools and such, and all of them are closed now. Right. Um, so I definitely understood it, but I was like, man, that's affecting me deeply. And I told right. my buds, I was like, look guys, this is, this is, uh, I'm not settling well with this whole right. idea of this thing canceled. So, um, so I've been training, I've been on the bike, and I said, you know what, I'm gonna go out and ride some of this thing. You know, it's, it's, it's a way of me giving thanks to the guys that um, inspired me to do the ride. It's a way of giving thanks to the guys that I rode with and supported me um, through my ride and then supported me completing my ride. And it's certainly a way of paying homage to the guys who've done it since me and all the organizations that we've supported over the years. Um, so uh, I'm in pretty good shape, so I'm gonna head out. We're gonna leave from Santa Barbara this Friday. Uh, just so happens that the organization is doing a virtual ride that day of okay. cyclists all around the country are being encouraged to get out on their bikes and ride for the organization, raise a few dollars, but more so raise awareness for the organizations that we serve. Um, and I'm gonna ride from Santa Barbara to Thousand Oaks, which is a 65 mile ride. It's beautiful Malibu Hills, uh, Santa Monica Mountains, Gorgeous. Tough life. Yeah, <laughs> really tough. And then uh, day two, we'll ride from Thousand Oaks. We'll ride down to Venice Beach. So there, uh, we'll go through Santa Monica. We'll go again through the Malibu Hills. Um, just gorgeous area. Um, ride the coast uh, through LA, uh, end up in Venice Beach. I'm gonna be riding a bike that is um, donated for a few days by a local outfit called Black Heart Bicycles who makes handmade titanium frames. Um, they have a great presence on the internet. Um, I reached out to them and they said, yeah, you can borrow a bike. So that's cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great group. What, uh, they've done some neat things. What organ do y'all still support the ADA or, or another organization now? So uh, the Ability Experience is the primary arm of the, of the fraternity and we, all of our events go to raise funds. And then we've since over the years partnered with a lot of Easter Seals camps and local organizations in each of the towns that we stop. Um, we still do friendship visits um, and we support, we still build uh, wheelchair accessible uh, playgrounds and ramps. Um, we still do a lot of projects with the uh, disabled community. Mm -hmm. um, and so the name of it is the Ability Experience um, is the name of the group that we ride with. And the, the, the ride is called the Journey of Hope. So uh, this year, uh, the Journey of Hope has been canceled. So I said, hey guys, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna ride across California. I'll start the ride. Right. Um, I have to come back uh, for a little bit of medical treatment after about a week and a half, and then, uh, which will cut me out through some of the weeks in Arizona and a little bit of West Texas. Um, the guy that led me is a great friend on my makeup rides, is a good friend. He was the best man at my wedding. His name is John Powers. Love you, John. Shout out, John. He, yeah. John John is going to ride with me. He lives in Fort Worth. The ride goes through Fort Worth, um, the planned ride. So we're going to pick up in Fort Worth and we're going to ride through Dallas, head, continue east into Louisiana. Uh, I'll ride through northern Louisiana. A good buddy of mine, Greg Lorenz, his, um, 
lightly committed to ride some. He's a Mississippi guy, um, attendance uh, college at Christian Brothers. So he's uh, agreed to either support or ride with me through North um, Vicksburg, Jackson area of Mississippi, okay. and then it rides into Alabama. I'll have to come back to, to go back to work at some point, and then towards the end of the summer, leading into the beginning of August, the ride typically will culminate uh, uh, by crossing through North Carolina and then up into Washington, D.C. So we have a couple of guys that have committed to riding across North Carolina and into D.C. So tip, I'll be riding three of those segments, and my hope is that in doing so, it'll inspire some of the other guys to pick up some of those other segments and make it a complete ride across the country. Do you have to make any changes due to uh, stay at home orders or quarantine um yeah we have to gap ourselves a little more on the ride um typically there'd be some benefits to riding in a small group and using the group to shield some wind and such yeah um we're not depending on hotels we have an rv that we've rented um we're going to use that to support us across california although th some of the hotels are opening um yeah, so there are some changes that, and then we can't do our friendship visits, which is a little bit sad. You know, we'd love to be able to pop in and say, hey, uh, right. we're representative of the Journey of Hope, and although we can't make it as a group this year, I'm here to say we support you guys and we love the work we're, that you're doing. Now, I, this is interesting because I feel like eight weeks ago you were just on another service trip, right? Yes. So are you, so tell about that. Okay. So uh, the ability experience, um, the mission really is to uh, create um, uh, an awareness and an acceptance of people of all abilities. And we have a partnership with a group in, um, in Guatemala called the DISA. So we took a group of college guys um, to Guatemala, uh, Santiago Atitlan, which is a remote uh, village on a lake. And there is a really um, uh, unsupported community there. Um, in Guatemala, the needs of the disabled are not quite as in focus as they are here. Um, the roads are not conducive to even rolling a wheelchair down. Right. Um, uh, typically, culturally, if uh, someone were born with Down syndrome, they would stay at home. They wouldn't leave the house at all. Um, and that is changing because of the work of some of these groups. So we went down there and they have a community center uh, that has a speech pathologist, a uh, physical therapist, a small school, a dentist, and they serve the needs of that community there. And they also do job training. So um, I wear a cool little bracelet. Uh, they sell bracelets uh, there that are made by the community. Um, they serve the needs of the community. And we were there with a group of college guys. And, and believe it or not, we were talking about hardiness and dealing with hardship. And here we were in this just unbelievable community. We, and, and while we were there, we were painting, we were cleaning up, um, we were prepping a site that they're gonna use as a car wash uh, to raise funds for the community. Cool. Yeah, so how, cool has, how has these trips like uh, affected you mentally, going in, coming out? You know, we talked about having something planned, but how has it affected maybe your, your fitness life, your at-home life, your work life? Uh, I think we all go through life. All right, I'm going to get deep on you. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. All right, so we go through life looking for one of two things, and it's a little bit of a tug of war. We either choose to look for comfort um, or we look for a deeper purpose. And if you're looking for a deeper purpose, it's natural to think of your own needs. I can, have, I can be happier if I focus on the things that make me happy. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, through my experiences in life, 
I've found out that if I focus on the happiness and the well-being of others by, by being in a mental state of service, um, that as a natural response, I'm happier. Mm -hmm. I'm in a better place. So it fills my heart in a way um, to go on these trips and to know that my focal point is I'm not going to California to find the prettiest, nicest miles that I can find. I mean, I'm going to be grinding through the desert in parts right. of this thing. And to know that um, I go out there with a mission of service fills my heart and gives me a sense of purpose um, that goes beyond the comfort thing. Um, and I think we all need to figure that out in some way in our lives, you know, and finding a way to give a purpose. I think Rue, and I've told you this before, every time I step into this place, um, it, it vibrates with a mission. You don't have to tell me anything about what goes on at Rue because I walk in and I see the engagement of the people in their eyes and the way they feel being here. Yeah. And, and, and you know, no surprise, that's your purpose, to be that energy, that spark plug, that fuel for people. Um, for me, I just find that when I put myself in these settings, um, that I can vibrate at a, at a bigger level that makes me sleep better. Yeah, I find that, like, a lot of people want to be of service to others, right? You know, but mm -hmm. they don't know. Maybe, like, it's not necessarily how, but it's, well... I need to take care of this, this, and this, and then I'll be in that place, and then I can right. do this. You know yes. what I mean? Like, yeah, when I get there, but that, I'll, then I'll, yeah. But that never happens. Never happens. Never, you you just never have to happens. jump into it. You got to jump into it. Yeah, and you have to know that on the back end of it, or not even on the back end, but in the process, it's kind of like that 12-minute row. You right. know, you jump into it, and that at some point in doing it, um, you know, I, I, I like to equate it to, you know, uh, it's often normal to think of when I engage in something, what am I going to get in return right. on the, at the end of it? But anytime I'm in one of these settings, either through an interaction I have, someone I meet, or something I do, in the process, I'm getting it. Right. You know? I, I'm, I'm, the lesson hits me. And, and I'm like, wow, that's... Uh, Man, I could have I could have read twenty books and I wouldn't have gotten this lesson. Yeah, you know? I think there is never anything bad with just starting, right? Yeah. But there's a lot of things not bad, but you're missing out if you're always waiting for the perfect time to start. Whether that's to have a kid, yeah. or to open up a business, right. or to start a podcast, or you know, yeah. or or be of service, anything like that. You know, even when I when I started this podcast, you know, for a while I was like, well, I need to have the right equipment or I need to research this, and I need to research editing. And the reality was I just needed to get in front of the microphone, in yeah. front of the camera, and start recording. Yeah. Um, because every it takes practice, and, and this might not have anything to do with of service, but it takes practice to get good at anything, Yeah. right? Um, whether that's playing music, uh, you know, speaking another language, uh, or, you know, recording a podcast like sure. we're talking about. Um, you don't get those reps unless you do it. Right. And, and the, the concept that, that hit me and that put all that, that brought all that together was I was reading a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, I love and, that book. Yeah, and he, he presents this concept of ready, fire, aim. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. It's ready, aim, fire. And then what he does is he tells a story of how the sharpest Olympian marksman uh, the guys that are doing the cross-country skiing and then they drop to their knees yeah. and then they fire off at the marks. He goes, they don't, 
come up, set, and, and aim for 10 minutes. What they do is they fire their gun, and then based upon the adjust. results, they adjust. So sometimes the sooner you pull that trigger, you take into effect the wind, the temperature, right. all that stuff based upon your first fire, um, then, you, then you can aim. But pulling that trigger is so key. So people are asking me, Ryan, you're gonna ride from California to, how are you gonna do that? Where are you gonna stop? Where are you gonna get your food? I was like, I'll figure it out. You know, I've right. done this a bunch of times yeah, before. Yeah, i figured out. I've carried a backpack with water and some food. I know I can go a long ways without eating a, you know. A, I try to live meal. by that mantra. I'll just figure it out. I'll figure it out. And if you come in with the right energy, then things will fall into place with you, right? Yeah. The enthusiasm yeah. and energy that you bring into any situation is a main driver for your end result. And I think that's what, what you and I engaged in immediately when we met each other. I mean, right. people will probably say, we've been knowing each other forever. Right. We haven't, we've no. been knowing each other a couple of months. Right. But it's the energy that we bring into whatever we do. And, and I, I think that that ready, fire, aim is just so key for people to get started and figure it out. You don't have to have all the answers. Enthusiasm can breed success. Yep. It is not the only ingredient, but it is essential. Yep. And when it. people feel your enthusiasm, they see it, they naturally want to get involved, support, help. Um, they want to be a part of that, you know? And that's, that's it, it ignites a fire. You know, it's contagious. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I just want to kind of round this up. Any other tips um, in terms of putting something on the books to plan for, to always keep, keep it together. Um, I mean, what is even something small that you can put on the books to, to always have a goal? Um, you know, I, I started put, I started tracking my fitness goals. This sounds crazy because I've always been one with a mindset of fitness. I know it means a lot for me to feel a certain way, to have a certain mental clarity that I gained from fitness. And I went back to basics with tracking my fitness goals and just writing down my sets after I'm done. Right. Because it, it's easy at the end of the week to say, man, I really slacked off this week. I, did, I don't feel like I did enough today. And if, because you forget about what you did. So whether it's a fitness goal or a vacation or a conversation, a great conversation you had with an old friend, I write it in a calendar. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that because even um, with fitness, you know, here we have a software program that allows everybody to track what they do in terms of their lifts and stuff like that. And look, we don't want to track everything because we don't want it to be their main focal point of why they're working out. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, we do try to promote uh, for people to, to track their... Yeah. They're, at least their lifts, you yes. know, um, and there's and I, we don't force anyone. There's a lot of people that just want to come here and work out for an hour and forget the world. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say even those people should track yep. every now and then because it allows you to a see your progress over time, yep. and then b in the back of your head, you can keep that like, well, I did this last time. You know, it gives you a little bit yep. extra push this time. Yep. You know, I am training for uh, a race right now, mm -hmm. um, a 400-meter one-time shot against one of my friends, Dr. Like Jonathan sprint, Burke. all-out sprint? All-out sprint, 400 oh, meters okay. against Dr. Jonathan Burke. It's happening. You got this. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I tried to set a date <laughs> on my That Dad's Life podcast. That okay. Dad Life podcast. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, check it out on iTunes. Um, I hope you're going to video this thing, huh? 
Yeah, yeah, okay. we're thinking about video. Okay. We're thinking about doing it live on the internet. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, he is yet to accept the date. So I'm Ooh, calling him out again. That's good. That's uh, good. But anyway, so I have that back in my mind. And look, I don't know. He, he could beat me. I could beat him. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I, I have a goal in mind of what I want to reach before I do that okay. race. And that right. is to be a sub-minute 400. Okay. So 57 seconds, 58 seconds I'd like to reach. Um, when I started back, because I, I did some track and field training uh, about two years ago with a guy who's actually the – the Masters World Champion right now in, nice. the, in the 400 meter, Gerald nice. Green. Okay. Shout out. Um, and so I, I tried to, you know, I stopped because it's grueling. Mm. Suffer. It, it, you, you suffer. Suffer. Um, yeah. it, it's running a 200, 400. It's it's brutal. Yeah. Um, so I uh, I picked it back up a couple of months ago, and I mean, I remember the first time I did it, I was like, I am gonna get smashed. I'm running like a 120 something. Yeah. A 130, which is just terrible right okay um and then the last couple weeks i got it down to a 106 okay 108 yeah um and now where i am and today i hit two 108s back to back with nice. a couple minutes rest in between it um and i didn't have my right shoes on so okay. yeah, <laughs> that's good. but knowing the goal that i have set yeah the race is there okay yeah. and then i'm tracking all my times yes, it's so key it you allows me it. look when i got out to the track today i did not want to because i know what it feels I'm getting like pumped up just hearing about this. i know what it feels like <laughs> to run a 106 108 yeah. like for me look if you're a track guy or you're a runner that's not awesome you know incredibly fast to me it's fast yeah. and i know what it takes for my body to do that right and it feels like your hamstring is going to want to rip oh, yeah, off your yeah. leg. You, but you're okay? not listening to the hamstring. No, you know, no. You talk it, to them, but you don't it, listen to them. And it's crazy because you're like, oh, one time around the track, that's not far. <laughs> Shit. When you're about 40 <laughs> right. seconds in, it's far as hell. Okay? Right, right, right. <laughs> and yeah. so um, I was, you know, I was doing it today and it was brutal. And I did it and I looked at my time, I'm like 108. And I'm like, that's two seconds off my fastest time last week. Right. Because I hit a 106. But um, am I... Ahead, I knew I was going to run two. Yeah, okay. So yeah. the last time I ran a 106 and a 112. Okay. So this time I ran the 108, and I'm like, you know what? I ran a 108, but I feel better after this. Okay. You know, so let's, let's shake it off. And I gave myself about 30 seconds, and I just flipped this switch where I'm like, you have to run another oh, 400. Yeah. It needs to be this. Yeah, let's go. Yeah. yeah. Lined it up on the line. Yeah. Let's go. And I hit 108 again. Okay. And I'm like. All right, that's good. Well, yeah, that's not yeah, a bad yeah. day of work. Double up um, on 108. But anyway, okay. just having that goal in mind, what I want to do, knowing the numbers I need to hit, and then tracking my progress has allowed me to make that mental push. If yeah. I didn't have that, I wouldn't have run a 108 right. twice. Like, right. it, it wouldn't have happened because it's painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, suffering. Yeah, and, and I like, uh, I like the, the, the old story of when you're in that, in that moment and you don't want to do it and you're suffering and something hurts and, oh, my knee hurts right. and my back's tight and all that, uh, don't listen to your body. No. Like, you have to talk to it. So when you're in those moments, you're like, you're like legs, we're going today. Yeah. I don't care what you're trying to tell me. Yeah. We're, we're going. We're and David Goggins tells this funny thing. He goes, yeah, uh, I want you to Google how do you suffer. He goes, there ain't no answer. <laughs> just do it. He goes, oh, no, ain't no answer. Yeah, you got to listen to him. It is, it is just doing it. And so it's, it's interesting you talk about suffering, um, and I think it's something you have to practice. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a muscle. Yeah, like because uh, I, I don't think a, a lot of people – 
know how to get there, mm-hmm. but it takes time. So if yep. you can make yourself hurt, and this is hurt in a good way, guys. I'm not talking about going out there and like not running on injury. an injury, right. or, you know, an injury or something like that. But I'm saying like um, the paint, the muscle fatigue or your lung capacity, those types of yep. things. And that just makes your your mind want to say, stop, 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 yes. stop. And you yes. have to say, shut up. Yep. Let's shut go. Up. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not, um, I'm not and listening it, to you lungs. Yeah. And I mean, this sounds like super corny, uh, but you got to have the eye of the tiger. Mm hmm. And it takes practice to get the eye of the yep. tiger. Yeah, and interval training has gotten real big in recent years for that reason, because you can dip into those red zones where you're hurting and your lungs, all, your heart rate's all crazy and your breathing's off. And then you could come back to recovery, but you're not stopping. You're in a recovery mode, and then you ramp it back up again. And it kind of goes back to that whole what we started with was comfort versus the purpose of what you're trying to gain. You right. know? And if you spend too much time in that comfort zone, your gains are gonna be minimized. And in order to get there where you can really suffer, you, you, you know, it's a muscle that you have to work. And, uh, but man, once you get there, that muscle, uh, some things start to, to turn on. Yeah, you know? and, but I mean, that goes across life, mm-hmm. would you say? Like if you stay in your comfort zone too long, okay, you'll, you'll never hit the gains, okay? Um, and that goes for like public speaking, people are afraid to that putting yourself out there. Yeah. You know, there's a ton of people that are afraid to do what's right to put themselves out there. And what I mean by do what's right, um, I mean like, you know, you have a goal in mind, you know, you need to make, do some difficult things that could lead to embarrassment. Maybe mm-hmm. people might talk like, you know, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing or yeah. she doesn't know what he, you know, she's doing. Right. Um, but you just have to do it. Yep. You, you, and like we said, it's the practice yep. that gets you there. Yep. And so it's practice getting out of your comfort zone, practice making yourself suffer, whether that's mentally, physically, uh, whatever, emotionally, yep. that gets you into a zone of gains. Yes. I'm going to start calling Absolutely. it zone of gains. <laughs> yeah. And if that, requ- if that requires a certain you know, playlist and a certain song looping yeah. through your head, either you're singing it to yourself um, or you're listening to it in your buds or whatever it is, or you got it cranked up in the gym you know, to get you there um, to where you can be in that moment of suffering, knowing that on the back end, you're going you're gonna to find the purpose how, in that. How many miles do you have to ride before you start to suffer? Uh, you know, cycling is different because I've been doing it a long time. Um, so if I'm going on a long ride, I might not truly warm up for, you know, 30, 45 minutes. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but then I can push and, and get to a red line and a sprint pretty quickly. I was going to say, so like it's more or less, it's not necessarily how many miles you're going to go. Correct. It's like if I, if I get up to a certain speed for a long enough time, I'm going to hit that zone. Yep. Do you ever do that just to mess with yourself? Or? Yeah, I race cars. You do? <laughs> yeah. I like it. There are parts We're, of my commute. Don't tell my wife this. She, she'll never. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like, so on my way to work, when I'm riding the bike, it's a it's a chill, easy ride. Um, I'm trying not to get real sweaty, and I don't want to get to work and need an hour cool down. So it's an easy ride. It's a, a nine-mile ride. Rides uh, from UNO to Metairie. To Metairie. And, um, and it's a gorgeous ride. I ride along the lakefront. I ride through nice sections of old Metairie. Uh, when I get on the bike at the end of the day, I finished a good day, and that's when I know, okay, I have, you know, five, ten minutes of warming up, and then I'm going to hit a stretch, uh, a bonnable running towards the lake, where it gets a little hairy with cars and such. Right. So I can either ride really defensive and do all this, or I could just blend in the traffic, which is, you know, 25 to 35 miles an hour for this stretch of bonnable. So um, I'm pushing hard there. 
you know, and, and I, I want it to hurt. I, I know there's a sequence of lights that runs. I know the relative sequence of those lights. And what I'm trying to do is not only uh, blend in with the cars, but to beat that sequence of lights. I don't want to have to hit the brakes <laughs> and get towards the lake. So don't tell my wife that. But uh, don't listen to this. Right. And then, you know, after I'm riding home, then I can dial it down a little bit and ride around City Park, go over a couple of bridges, get that workout in. And um, you, yeah. you told me once before, though, you, so you more or less, you, you can hit that on a bike. You don't really do that when you run, right? Or no? Uh, it, what is that? Hit the like red line or make yourself suffer when you run. I, I, you more I or less run for fun. Exactly. I run for fun and recovery. Now, if you ran with me, you wouldn't think it would be very fun because, like, Linda said, well, how long did, Linda's my wife, said, how long did you run yesterday? Because I was explaining to her yesterday, I said, right. I never really rehydrated after my run, and, and I didn't get a nap in today, and I was, I was just a little fatigued yesterday evening. I said, well, you know, Monday is usually my dial-up run, but I know I'm traveling on Wednesday. So I ran um, nine miles around the park yesterday. Um, but then in my, because I like to suffer, I stop and I do step ups on the benches. Yeah, yeah. So I do step ups, 25, a leg, and then I do burpees. Um, and then, so my intention on my runs is to break that rhythmic, comfortable breathing. Uh, I see what you're saying. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To get so, your heart rate pumping and then you start your run exactly. again and then so your runs the recovery exactly so the better i get at recovering on my runs then the more i'm adjusted for those elevated heart rates yeah so yeah. compare that to me today i ran an 800 okay as my warm-up i did all my my running exercises and then i did two 400s and then I couldn't walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I did, I walked around the tracks. So I did a 400 meter walk very slow. Like I'm talking yeah. about like maybe a six to eight minute walk. Yeah. Okay. And my hamstring still didn't calm down for about another 10 minutes. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. all in all, I ran today roughly, I don't know, less than eight minutes. Right. But it took like 35 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah. yeah. It took explosive. 40 minutes for me to like really chill out recover my legs still yeah. kind of hurt yeah <laughs> yeah that's something yeah but you're in an explosive body type i mean when we do yeah, our, yeah absolutely our group training um I, I can watch you do a rep and then me do a rep and it, just watching the explosiveness of your muscle is different than my endurance you know long term yeah i tell jonathan so jonathan's a distance runner the guy i'm supposed to race okay and i call him david goggins and i call myself usain bolt oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my All buddy right. Shane's like, you just compared yourself to the fastest guy in the world. And yeah, I'm like, well, I was trying gold. to, like, David Goggins is at the top of his level with, you know, endurance for his age and, and yeah. his motivation and stuff like that. Jonathan's a very motivated guy, giving motivated speeches all the time. Got to right. give it to him. He's doing all these long runs. And I just want to go out there and be powerful. Yes. Run fast. Yes. Get it over with. Yep. I hear you. So hear you. that's that. Uh, any final thoughts? No, uh, I'll be doing a couple posts on Instagram. Just uh, where can people follow you? Uh, I'm at Doctor Boss Floss. Doctor Boss Floss. Uh, yeah. That Dr. sounds like it should be the album to for a, like a flow tribe. Yeah, <laughs> Doctor Boss Floss. Right, Doctor Boss Floss. I'll put up some posts and uh, there'll be a couple of links on there so you can kind of see some photos of me riding uh, through California. Some gorgeous shots. Uh, riding with some friends. There'll be an RV involved, some hilarity. Um, so should be a lot of fun. And if you need dental care, check out Storyville Family Dentistry. After I get back. When he gets back. So. Yeah. Awesome, y'all. Uh, uh, you can find us at Rue Fitness, obviously, if you're listening to this already. If you haven't, rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Uh, we love five-star reviews. <laughs> 
But um, other than that, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Yeah, amen.